Hey, I'm Rafa Chua, and welcome back to So Far So Good, the socially distanced podcast. In today's episode, we feature an interview with Mia Parma of Meseni Misses, an organization which integrates its unique advocacy of promoting local, sustainable, and socially responsible dining into relief efforts. This episode was recorded all the way back in May 3, 2020, and published on the same day in a horrible example of scheduling on my part. Nevertheless, I hope you enjoy it. The music in this episode is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License and features Hat the Jazz by Twin Musicom and Airport Lounge Disco Ultra Lounge by Kevin McLeod. Enjoy the episode and remember to hold on to hope in the middle of these uncertain times. This is what we can do and we'd gladly do it 10 times over if we could as for as long as we can. When we're confronted with bad news at every turn, it's easy to lose sight of the hope that keeps us going. I'm Rafa Chua, and I've made it my mission to share stories of hope in the midst of our uncertain times, to prove that anyone, anywhere, can do their small part today to solve even the biggest of problems. Welcome to the Socially Distanced Talk Show. Welcome to So Far, So Good. Contrary to popular belief, and the dozens of packs of instant ramen I've consumed over these past few months, you can't afford to eat healthy, even in the middle of a quarantine. This week on So Far So Good, we learn about Mesani Misses, an organization which integrates its unique advocacy of promoting local, sustainable, and socially responsible dining into relief efforts such as frontline feeding programs and subsidized mobile markets. My guest this week is Mia Parma, who brings her experience in agriculture and waste management and her strong personal advocacy to her role as a general operations manager at Messany Misses. Hi, good morning. Welcome back to So Far So Good. Once again, I'm Rafa Chua, and today I'm joined by my special guest, Mia Parma from Messany Misses. Hi, Mia. Hi, Rafa. It's so, good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for uh, coming on. I know right before this, you had to take a few calls because you're expanding your operations. So I appreciate any time you can give me. Before we begin, I just want to ask you really quickly, um, could you give a short explanation of what Mesa Nemesis is and what its advocacy is to our audience? All right. So Mesa Nemesis was a, is a nonprofit organization that was started by Juana Yupango in 2018. So she started, so it stemmed from her need to look for healthy recipes and healthy cooking that's not going to cost her a lot of money because usually when she looks for recipes online the ingredients are like kale, broccoli, they're hard to come by in the Philippines in the local market. So she noticed that it's costing her so much to feed her family healthy food. So she opted for a she looked she was looking for a solution to address the costly nature of healthy cooking and that's when she looked into local vegetables and local produce to make these recipes. So from there, she started cooking healthy and she noticed that her bill was going down significantly because she was sourcing these from local markets and local farmers instead of like um, sourced from elsewhere. So from there, she also realized like the benefits, the health benefits of local fruits and vegetables. And she talked about and she discovered that Philippines actually has a lot of local vegetables that are considered future smart foods by the Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN, which not a lot of people know about because when you think of superfoods, I guess people think kale, people think, you know, quinoa, which just isn't really <laughs> easy to come by in our local market. Like when you think of Filipino vegetables, it's like kangkong, it's mongo, and then people don't really 
people don't really look into it deeper because it's not very it's not promoted people don't talk about it a lot it's not as championed as let's say kale and quinoa that's how the advocacy started so it started with Juana wanting wanting to be able to cook healthy and affordable food and to source it locally she wanted to also help the farmers in the Philippines um, you know sell their produce because there's been a lot of news of farmers dumping their produce because there haven't been any buyers, etc., which I'm sure that you've read. Oh, yeah, so that's where it started. So it's really healthy and nutritious eating, but it really it's centered on plant-based nutrition because she's veg- she's vegan. <laughs> I find it really interesting how it's a very local take on something that's considered an international trend that people when people think superfood, you're right, they usually think of well for lack of a better term, very mm-hmm. Americanized or ver- things that seem very... Yeah, like, very Western. Very mm-hmm. Western. It's like, you know, I'm going to hit the gym with my kale smoothie, you know, <laughs> and everything. But it's exactly. actually right here. You can get it right here. So, as you were just saying, uh, Mesa ni Mrs. Mm-hmm. started primarily as a health platform or one that was um, yeah. encouraging local ingredients, uh, you know, that kind of lifestyle. But what we're talking about today is how they become involved in relief efforts during this quarantine. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, how did it? How did the organization go from being primarily a health or uh, let's say eating or cooking based advocacy mm-hmm. to something health. that um, started? In wellness, yeah. Yes, started serving uh, these at-risk communities. So actually, even before the quarantine, we have Messani misses like. 50% of our efforts are actually catered towards underserved communities. So we have um, soup kitchens. We work with, um, if you're familiar with AHA Learning Center, it's actually ran by an Atenista also, an alumni. And we work with them to like teach them about healthy cooking, community gardening, vermicompost. Like we teach them eco-bricking. Like 50% of our efforts are really catered towards underserved com- communities. When we found out about the quarantine, we weren't able to visit the communities that we've been visiting on a regular basis. So we decided to do something. Um, we decided to have a project that addresses like the need for nutritious food. So it started first with feeding frontliners since a lot of people were saying, Oh, uh, you know, every everyone in the front lines needed as much help as they could get, and we wanted to do our part in addressing that. So it started out. Um, we had some of our partners reach out to us, the farms and restaurants who we work with, and they wanted to deliver food directly through us. So we didn't at first we didn't co- collect any money, and we weren't making our own meals. So we just kind of like channel the food that was being directed towards us to the people who needed it. But from there, we realized that there was a need for um, prepared meals on a regular basis. So what we did was we opened up a commissary and then we gave our recipes, our plant-based recipes. And we had our in-house nutritionist um, come up with a meal plan that that she that she thinks that each frontliner would need so like it had enough carbohydrates etc it had all the nutritional components that they need that that was necessary for a meal so from there we came up with we wanted to be we wanted to have plant-based meals so we sourced the vegetables directly from farmers since i have a background in agriculture before i joined um messanimus i actually worked in agriculture for a few years so i had the contacts I had the contacts with the farming communities and cooperatives 
that we that where we channel the supplies from. So it started there, and we wanted to make nutritional nutritious food, and we didn't want to compromise like by putting it in styrofoam packaging or even like plastic packaging or even paper packaging because the reason why we're also against paper packaging is because paper is sourced from trees and tre- that means that you'd have to cut down trees for the raw materials to produce that paper packaging as compared to the material we we're very lucky that we found partners who have the same values as we do like they want to create like sustainable packaging and not compromise the health of the environment so we found one that actually sources that actually sources their materials from sugarcane fiber and wheat fibers and usually the fiber is just thrown into the landfill or turned into compost but this packet this company uses the leftover material and turns it into 100% compostable packaging which is what we use for our for our meal packs for frontliners so we started by giving 100 meals per day for one hospital and then right now we serve a thousand meals every other day for multiple hospitals which is good like we've been able to sustain this because of the generosity of our donors and also the a small portion of it is from the profits we make from the market nemus this now so that's how it's sustainable wow thank you for the very detailed answer i think like my main takeaway here is that the social aspect has been integrated even from the very beginning And yes. you guys really go for it all the way, like down to the packaging. You want to make sure that it's in line with your advocacy, right? So yes, yeah, I love definitely. that. And the very creative also that you're using like a secondary or I guess what might be considered a waste material normally as something that uh, you can package your foods with. So you know yes, you're not just helping out these people, but you're also helping out the environment. I'm yes. a bit interested in what you mentioned just now about your personal mm-hmm. background. You said you were in agriculture um, before you started, uh, before you became involved in mesonymesis. So, if I may yeah. ask, um, could you talk a bit about what your background was there, and number two, how you eventually became involved with the organization? Right. Okay. So, like fresh out of college, like of course when you work from a, when you start working in an organization that this SBC, like in Atenea, the sector-based cluster, like you really have the heart to serve. Like I think at an even deeper level than everyone else already does in Ateneo, because you really work with the communities. Like you know, you're face to face with them at least once a week, every week, and you, like you really feel the need to be there and to do something, which. I think Ateneo and Tagon for that for that experience. So actually, right after college, I went to law school for a year, and then I didn't enjoy it, so I left. And then I took a sustain. Uh, I worked for Lenny Robredo, the VP now. I worked in her office for a year, and I that's when I realized that I re- so what, what, I was serving like a lot of the advocacy part of her work and I was serving like a lot of communities all over the Philippines and that's when I realized that I was interested in agriculture so that's what sparked my interest in the industry that I had no background in whatsoever but I was interested enough to take a course in NYU so I took a short course in NYU on sustainable development and I focused on agriculture and I asked my project my final project for That course was actually a food cloud, which is what I carried over to Mesonymesis recently. So a food cloud essentially is we connect restaurants, groceries, supermarkets to um, underserved institutions or communities. So there's no food waste. So for example, in a 
restaurant setting, they'd always usually have a surplus of produce that they're not able to use. That's not necessarily rotten already, but it's about to be. It's not. It's about to be significantly less in quality, <laughs> but still good. But essentially, still good. It's not like restaurant grade quality anymore, but it's still edible. It's still good to eat. So we connect them to. So we'd be the we'd be the bridge to connect them to. Let's say, for example, um, an orphanage, an orphanage that needs X supply of produce every month. So we connect them on a weekly or daily basis, depending on the need. And this addresses food waste and poverty and hunger in the Philippines. So what's nice about it is that the restaurants usually their hindrances would be, of course, like um, health issues, like oh, if the food goes bad, it's going to be on them. But given that we're the bridge, we shoulder all the responsibility to make sure that the food that gets from one point to the other is of good quality. So what's nice about this is that yeah, so it addresses three things. Number one is food waste. So if we if there wasn't a bridge to con- to connect these two institutions, usually the restaurants, supermarkets, etc., they throw it in the landfill. More more often than not, like ninety percent of that is thrown in the landfill. Other um and when it's not thrown in the landfill, some of them compost, but that's a rarity in the Philippines. <laughs> Coming from personal experience, that's a rarity because I also worked in solid waste management for a while and. It's a rarity in the Philippines for people to practice proper composting at that, at that, at that mass a level of food consumption. Um, so food waste, and second would be um, hunger. So zero hunger. So these are communi- aside from orphanages, it's also like underserved communities like barangays in Tondo that usually get like you know when people donate because they give like Jollibee packs. It's not nutritious, you know. It's also arguable that they even get sicker if they keep eating Jollibee for a sustained amount of time. So at least it's fresh produce and sometimes even meals because some restaurants have, some restaurants also have meals prepared. It's kind of like the the excess in the end of the day, and then they pack it and we have to deliver it immediately so that the food is still of good quality to be eaten. Um, yeah. So and so it's. Hunger, uh, food waste, zero hunger, and eventually, hopefully, zero po- poverty because we help supplement the household. So instead of them buying, instead of them allocating their um, salary to groceries, etc., at least they can save some money to maybe you know help help lift themselves out of poverty. So it's a three. It, it addresses three needs in our community. So that's what essentially what a food bank, food cloud is. So we wanted to launch that in June of this year, but of course, since after everything that happened, we kind of adjusted it and created um, market nemesis. So we were thinking like, okay, it's good to help feed frontliners, but also the communities. There are so many underserved communities who aren't be hindi pinapansin. So that's where we thought now. Okay, so what can we do? Given our connections, given what we have, how can we address this need? So I was thinking, huh? So I, I was like, oh, there are also farmers who haven't been able to sell their produce to the restaurants they usually sell to because restaurants are closed. 
or they're at working at a skeletal system but they still don't buy as much produce as they usually do so they have like this abundance of supply and they either have been dumping it or selling it at a very very low cost to the point that they're yung mga farmers after talking to these farmers and after talking to the team about it i was like hey why don't we put up a market and then a mobile market. What makes us different from other mobile markets is that we subsidize a percentage. So it's definitely cheaper and more affordable than even palenque prices. It actually all happened in a span of two days. Like we thought of it and then we did it in two days. Because we knew that we were, we you know, we were crunched for time and a partner. So the Gig City has been a partner of Mezzanine Business for a while. We've been doing projects with it with the LGU so we reached out to them and we pitched the idea and the next day they were like all right put it up <laughs> so we gathered like we we stayed up probably 24 hours straight talking to farmers talking to mega white foundation who actually is supplying our trucks to get to get the produce from the farms and bring them straight to Metro Manila and they also bring the produce to the barangays so we kind of gathered everyone together talked about it and we made it happen. <laughs> it's been happening for a while now, and we're so happy that we had it. We had some media coverage, and there were other cities that were reaching out as well. And what's nice about our agreement with the gig is that all the leftover produce that isn't the unsold produce for the day, the LGU buys buys the remaining produce, and they give it as relief goods on this at the on the same day. Because the market usually ends like at around. 11, 11.30. So by 12, they can get all the produce, repack it, give it to the people by the afternoon. We really prioritize that we weren't going to waste any bit of anything. So from like the plastic bags we use, we don't use plastic bags, we use cassava bags sourced from our partner, also EcoDesk. So we use plastic, those plastic cassava, plastic cassava bags, bioplastic bags instead. And then that's where we put the rice, that's where we put the vegetables. So we really did not compromise whatsoever. We also told people to bring... Um, what's nice about the city of the gig, I don't think... I think they banned plastic, so people have been practicing bringing their own eco-bags for a while now, which is good. So which is what we want to carry over also when we expand to different cities. I guess for me, like this is a lot to take in, but the most unexpected part of this whole thing is what you set it up in two days that's that's insane <laughs> yes we set it up in two days so it actually was just a team of three girls it was me juana and our nutritionist ali and we were like just like on a zoom call all day and we we're like <laughs> okay let's check back in two hours and see what we have all right <laughs> and then we made it happen we put it together like we joined forces and we did it yeah, it's not it's perfect a- and we definitely improved as you know we went along but i feel like it's very sustainable and it's running as smoothly as it can run now right I think maybe in this time now what's important isn't really getting it perfect on the first try but putting something out there because every day you're not operating yet that's some day that the needs of these communities and even the farmers aren't Aren't being served exactly so I guess that's Mm -hmm. why for you you had to get it right out the door as soon as possible yes definitely it seems that your connections or the connections of the organization played a particularly big role in making sure that it could happen as fast and as well as it did because I understand there's the trucks there was the agriculture the farmer contacts then also the LGUs so all of those kind of came together uh, they came together now you're working mm-hmm. on expanding um, your your efforts to different LGUs. Yes. So how has that been? Right. I'm expanding outside of the gig. Right. So 
Tigig and San Juan have been two of the LGs that we've worked closely with in the past. San Juan actually has their own mobile market, so they were so we haven't partnered with them yet because they have their own efforts, which is fine. It's it's good that they have their own efforts to do so. However, when we um, when there was a lot of press release on the event, um, chief of staff of Lespedias QC and Makati reached out to us immediately so that we could work on so to understand like how we're running the whole project and what they can do to have us do it in their cities. So uh, right now we're in we're we're in talks with all three cities, but I think we'd be expanding to Las Piñas and QC first. So on Wednesday we'll be in Las Piñas and Tagig, and then on Thursday we'll be in QC and Tagig. Yeah, it's growing fast, <laughs> which is good. I mean, we're able to reach out to so many people from all over Metro Manila, which is good. And it's in partnership with their LG, which honestly it really helps because it breezes us through checkpoints. They give us all the ideas, the paperwork that we need. They set up like the social. They set up the venue. They make sure that there's social distancing, there's security. They really do so much, also of the work. And we're so thankful to the gig for like setting the standard that we can like for setting the standard for us so that we know what we can expect from other LGUs who have been reaching out and we also give them kind of like a skeleton and a structure that they can follow so it's not coming out from scratch so it's also much easier for them to participate I think one like unintended side effect of this quarantine is that it showed off like how important LGUs actually are because I feel in the past they were very overlooked in terms of what change could happen in their community but now, um, especially with media coverage, the LGUs which are doing a particularly good job or have very innovative efforts, like are really being highlighted. And I guess people yes, are appreciating them more. Same if you're yeah. not doing well, right? Like everyone knows about yeah. their dirty everyone laundry. Knows. <laughs> I think like a recurring theme here is really that of bridging or connection. Because it's funny because if you look at it like from a conventional economics or business standpoint, you would say mm-hmm. that as long as there's supply and as long as there's demand, then you should mm-hmm. be able to move the product. But that's not actually the case. But that's not the case. Because there's clearly an oversupply. I mean, like you said, farmers are scrapping or throwing away yeah. perfectly viable produce. And there's definitely mm-hmm. demand because there are a lot of people going hungry. There are a lot of at-risk families. So I think the yes. hidden part of that equation, which you guys are trying to address, is what happens in between supply and demand. Like you're providing yeah. the literal marketplace for that transaction to happen. At a subsidized price, which is which is great, honestly. Yeah. During um, the media coverage last Sunday, they were asking us, "Oh, aren't, why aren't you prioritizing making a profit, etc.?" And we were like, "This isn't the time to yeah, think, worry about profits. We're just really helping each other survive, and we're doing our part in the community. And this is what we can do, and we'd gladly do it." 10 times over if we could as for as long as we can at the rate you're going you might actually end up doing it 10 times over <laughs> <laughs> actually we need to start multiplying ourselves yeah i imagine it can't be a team of three forever oh no, definitely not <laughs> since you are expanding yes. now on the internal side of things or let's say the background backstage side of things are you also seeing changes to keep up with your expansion definitely so um a lot of my personal responsibilities and the the rest of the team's responsibilities has been put into a halt since the easy um, the quarantine started. It's also like adapting to the whole work from home situation where we're not used to because we're very field based 
we really go to the community like on a daily basis we're either at the hospitals we have partners because of hospitals or we're in like a community or we're teaching this doing that so it's so strange for us to always only just be on our laptops every day so like addressing that change in environment and at the same time um, adjusting our projects and expanding our pro- projects at such a fast rate is like a lot to take in <laughs> so we're, we've definitely discussed expanding our team we don't we haven't address that discussion yet but it has definitely been up for discussion and I think like internally we're really just taking care of each other and making sure that we respect weekends as much as possible like we ex- we respect weekends we respect meal times we, ex- we respect work hours because I feel like you know I think a lot of other people haven't been respecting work from home hours like even at 10 p.m. they're still working or like 5 a.m. they're texting nah. the boundaries are blurred which I think is very important to maintain, to stay healthy and to stay sustainable because we don't know how long this is truly going to last. As much as they say, like, we might go from ECQ to GCQ and uh, by changing yeah. one letter uh, by the 15th now, <laughs> I think that things are definitely not going to go back to normal immediately. Like, even yeah. if you look at countries which have already succeeded in flattening the curve, so to speak, right. they still have to implement a lot of measures. Life is still working very yeah. differently there. One thing I really related with in what you were saying is that there's that struggle because uh, you mentioned you're very used to working on the field or with the communities directly. So there is that struggle of wanting to serve your community or to connect with them even when you can't physically be there. Uh, personally, it's yeah. something we've experienced a lot in Kaith My Org because we help yeah. pediatric patients out and the hospital is the number one place you can't visit yeah. right now. If you're yeah. not a frontliner or if you're not equipped, do you have sure. any tips for any individuals or organizations who want to reach out to the communities that they serve or the sectors that they serve, but are challenged um, to doing that because of the quarantine? I think number one would really be even just communicating with them during this time. Like if you have their numbers, if you can video chat them, if you can Facebook them, communicating communicating with them on a daily basis really. Um, helps them like you know just nagkakamusta or like talking I mean not everyone because I would say do, a lot of people would automatically say donate give money give stuff but you you don't always have something to give especially like let's say if you're a student then you don't you're not even getting allowance anymore so what can you give the ba? so you can I think communicating with them directly would be my number one um, suggestion Number two would be talk about it. Talk about it to communities. Reach out to the people who may have the power to donate, may have the power to reach these communities more. Like, reach out to your mayor. Reach out to your congressman. This is the time. Like, of course, like, we have all these emotions going on. And yes, you want to scream and shout and you want to cry. We're all on board there. We're human beings. We have these emotions. But also, we have to realize that we have to act on them as well. We have the time now to reach out more than you've ever been given. So I think this is the time to reach out to your leaders. Not just government leaders, but also people you look up to. Reach out to the people who can be there, support them, donate what you can, do what you can. But number one would really be communicate. Communicate with the communities for as much as you can. I'm sure they'd appreciate that, even just asking how they are, how they've been. And number two would be really communicating to the leaders that you voted for, the leaders that you support. It's very empowering, actually. I mean, as limited as we are, it really forces you to work creatively within those restrictions to find ways to reach out to people. 
So yeah, I love that aspect um, that people are realizing the power of the internet of online coordination yeah. um, to yeah. really organize these efforts. I think it's just important that, like you said, we gotta respect the boundaries. Also, like I recently mm-hmm. read an article that the workday has extended by like two or three hours artificially because of work from yeah. home. Because you know you it can't has. tell you're at work or when you're at home, so you're just exactly. like just do both at the same time. There's a lot of pressure to feel productive. <laughs> also, you touched on this earlier. But there's that notion that eating healthy and sustainable is more expensive. Like when you hear the yeah. terms organic or farm to table being attached to something, you immediately expect, mm-hmm. oh man, this is going to be costly, right? But you right. provide sustenance to at-risk communities at a low and even mm-hmm. subsidized price. Does that mean that this notion isn't true at all? Yes, this is a myth I want to bust. Yeah, this is actually one of like our key advocacies. We really want to tear down those walls. Now, oh, it's so it's so expensive just eating gulai all the time. It's so expensive eating healthy all the time to live that lifestyle. Like only the rich and privileged can sustain that sort of lifestyle comfortably. No, it's definitely false. I think what makes it ex- expensive is really breaking it down. It's really what were the source of these products. So if you go directly to the source, and what do I mean by directly? Derecha from the farmers, not the, the middlemen are the people who make the products expensive. Because of course, sure, like if you factor in transportation, cost packaging, etc., whatever, sure. It's a little bit more expensive, but it's definitely not the prices that you, it doesn't, it should not cost um, hundreds of pesos for one piece of broccoli, for one stock of broccoli. Right. That's ridiculous. I just want to put my foot down and say that's ridiculous. Like, be smart about where you source your products. I would recommend definitely the mar- like the, your a mobile market, which I think is really being adapted in a lot of like in a lot of private villages, not just our mobile subsidized market in the barangays, but it's being practiced also like. Our village in LGV, they actually have like a mobile palenque that's supported by the Department of Agriculture. Source your gulai from there. Of course, the grocery price will always be different for the market price. And yes, you're paying for convenience, but if you really, if you really want to advocate sustainability, then do a market trip once a week or twice a week. I mean, like really put it in your schedule. Like be diligent about going to the market, getting what you need for the week, and you'll save so much money. So like I really don't believe that it has to be expensive. Like locally sourced, especially the locally grown and locally sourced vegetables, they they're very, they're inexpensive, and you're also helping out farmers, our local farmers as well. This quarantine has really been pushing a lot of Filipinos, I think, to consider food sources that are available nearby, conveniently, yeah. or at least locally, which includes a lot of local produce and natural ingredients. So do you think? personally that this is a trend that will persist even after the quarantine like do you think it'll somehow stick in people's minds after all of this that it is an option to eat local yeah. and to eat uh, natural i hope that people learn the lesson here that this that the lockdown has the several lessons of lockdown has been teaching us but particularly that yes you can afford to be healthy and you don't have to compromise your health for like you know to save money you can save money and stay healthy I hope it persists. I hope that people continue to champion supporting local produce and in effect supporting local farmers. In Messany Misses, we have IG Live every week and my segment is actually about growing your own food at home. So I've done like grow your own garlic. Like we in our household, we don't buy our own garlic. We grow it all at home and we're like a household of nine. So it's doable even in like a container wise environment and a container garden like 
setup. Grow your own grass. There's so many things that you can grow like at home. Especially now, of course, we considered it because everyone feels like it's the apocalypse. <laughs> we might run out of food. And growing your own food, it's very rewarding as well. Like you take care of it and you can reap what you sow, literally. So <laughs> it's good. It's a good practice to have as well. Right. I think it's been said before that health, your your own health is the greatest investment. No? And if you can like Definitely. save a bit of money by eating healthy, then I think it's a win-win situation. You know, it's a it's a win on all fronts. A lot of people uh, are getting into home cooking now. Maybe they want to take that a step further and not just consider cooking at home, but growing your own ingredients. So there's that pride from eating something that you grew yeah. yourself and you cooked yourself. You can really feel like you're a high-end chef, and you're taking yeah, care. Yeah, there's your a lot more. Yeah, there's a lot more ownership when you grow the ingredients that you use to cook. Support local. There's so much like. If we had more time, I'd talk about all the vegetables and things that a lot of people haven't like been paying attention to. That you'd be like, oh, we have the pala, or oh, we have all these different edible flowers in the Philippines that no one talks about, and all these. There's like more beans than just mongo. We have so many other different kinds of beans, so like mushrooms that we should talk about. I think that's you know like people just really need to like champion it and start talking about it, and that's what we try to do here at Matsuding Nessus. I think that if our audience wants to know more about all these things you're talking about, other options for produce or edible flowers even, can they find mm-hmm. that sort of material on your website or your Instagram? Definitely. So everything you need to know about what we're doing currently, our advocacy, all our sources, all our partners, it's in our website and our Instagram. So our website is mesonemesis.com and on Instagram we are at mesonemesis. Check that out. What's amazing about mesonemesis is that we use our local vegetables but like the recipes are so reimagined. Like it's something beyond pinakbet. You know what I mean? We have like upo lasagna which is one of my favorite dishes. Oh, that like, sounds great. It's so good and it's so fun to make and it's so easy to do. It's 100% plant-based, no meat, no cheese. It, the cheese is cashew cheese, which you can make at home. So good. So actually, we were supposed to launch our cookbook last April, but after everything that's happened, we're actually postponing it till after whenever lockdown is over, which we don't know. So we're just kind of waiting. But yes, the cookbook's ready and. We're happy to. You'll find it in our website as well. How to get how to get your hands on it once it's out and ready. Do you have any tips for those looking to pursue a healthy and sustainable lifestyle, even during the ECQ? Number one would be really cook your own food, no matter what it is. I'm not gonna force you to have plant-based food, but number one would be cook your own food. If you can source it locally from your local market as much as possible, that'd be number one tip. Number two would be. Check out our recipes and messages and try them. <laughs> They're super good. And what's nice about our recipes is that you can just use them as a base recipe and then add on whatever you know. You can have fun with it. It's not like a strict. It has to be this. You can add on whatever you find at home and mix it up in our recipes, which is great. Um, and third would be we have a support group on Facebook, which is like a messages. Um, healthy support group. Like, if you want to know, like, where to source these different vegetables, or you can actually message us directly on Facebook or Instagram, and we'd be happy to tell you where you can source all these things for a much, for a very affordable price. And like, where to buy? If you don't want to cook tamad ka, you just want to buy food and eat something healthy. We also know where you can source that kind of food. And there, those would be my tips. So Mia, thank you so much for joining us for today. I guess to summarize everything I've learned or what we've talked about today, um, 
what I think is very cool about Messi Misses is that it's not just an advocacy. You're not just saying eat healthy, but there's a very clear follow through for the people who you're sharing that advocacy with. Like you, you aim to provide accessibility. You aim to provide the platform to purchase these healthy ingredients at a reduced price, and you really empower, I guess, the people you're partnered with, LGUs, farmers, at-risk communities. To start living that healthy lifestyle. Oh, Do you have any good. final shout-outs or messages that you'd like to give to our audience? Yes. Um, so if you guys want to support our Feed the Frontliners initiative, um, I guess you can check it out on our Instagram. We have a poster where you can donate. And if you can, if you want to connect us to communities or institutions that you think would need assistance, we'd be happy to help. So you can find that on our social media pages as well. And thank you for having me, Rafa. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Once again, my name is Rafa Chua. This is Mia Parma. And this is So Far, So Good. <laughs>